0: Hello, and welcome aboard the Gallant Says Podcast. I'm Paul Gallant. This is our second volume of the Gallant Says Podcast. Because for the second time in about two years, I'm looking for a job. In the meantime, if you would leave a five-star rating, a nice little review, shoot, you can even roast me. That would be so helpful. And look... It might not matter to help me out, but don't you wanna help me feed my cat? I know I do. You can also catch this podcast on YouTube now. See the pasty whiteness, the giant eyebrows, the facial gesticulations, and me using my cat as a prop because these are the, well, depths that we have to sink to to get ratings, clicks, views, listens, etc. Over the course of today's podcast, I will be talking about everything that I saw over the course of the NFL this past weekend and a little bit more. I would talk some Seattle Mariners. I'm not going to lie, though, since I (laughs) haven't really watched the Mariners over the last two weeks until their 5-4 victory over the Boston Red Sox. I don't know what good things I'd necessarily have to say, smart things hot takes that I'd have ready to go, pow, 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 out the shoot. You're probably thinking already though, Paul, you don't know shit about baseball, which is somewhat true. You're also probably thinking to yourself, did Paul just swear? Yes, I could do that here. And what else are we going to dive into over the course of this episode? Not sure. What I do know, we will be doing this twice a week, Tuesday mornings, Friday mornings, and After that, who knows? There will be more production quality with time. There will be more weirdness, like you might have come to expect out of me with time. But this is our first voyage, and let's just get to the end intact without rambling too far into some weird reference to Trebuchets. I was just kind of... Curious what Paul gets to say, you are definitely living in the hindsight world today, Paul. grow up. You kidding me? Paul. What the hell is wrong with you? I'm a bit of a sick person because I enjoy watching others fail, especially when they're really arrogant people. Which might be a bit ironic because I think some people would find me to be Exactly that. Whatever the case, watching Aaron Rodgers get pantsed by the New Orleans Saints on Sunday, it felt really good. Now, it's one game, there are 16 more, and Aaron Rodgers was the MVP last year. I'm not going to go so far as to say that he's cooked, though maybe two years ago I would have. What I will say is that someone who treats their craft with such disrespect deserves to get humbled, especially when... It's a game like football. Now, I'm one of these people who holds football up to this lofty, ridiculous standard. It's a fucking game, but I feel like it's the ultimate team game and that you owe it to, in the NFL, 52 other teammates in high school, in college, whatever other amount of teammates you might have on your team to be there whenever you're needed to do everything that's expected of you in the offseason to be ready for the start of the year. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers did that. There he is at his press conference. Still with that California cool. Yeah, man. You know, football. Football's just football, but life's life. There's this vibe that he carries himself with, and I I just hate it. And if I were a fan of the Packers, I feel like I would even hate it. No matter how good he was last year. No matter if the Packers were 28-8 and over the last two seasons. He basically flicked off his entire team this offseason. They were 28-8 and eight the past two seasons, two NFC Championship game appearances. And look, he showed up for the start of training camp. It's not like he missed the entire offseason, but it really felt like he was in his own world. And I don't know how committed he really was to improving himself this offseason. And I bring up Aaron Rodgers first because it is a way for me to go back to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was so annoying this offseason, and you can point at his agent, Mark Rogers, and say that he was the main reason for a lot of the stupid fucking stories that came out. Russell Wilson might go to the Chicago Bears. Here's a list of four teams that Russell Wilson doesn't want to be traded to, but would be okay being traded to. That entire saga stunk, and I do look at Russell Wilson, at least during the offseason, in a totally different way. But then I see him on Sunday, and I forget all about it. I forget all about the crap. That guy with Shane Waldron as the new offensive coordinator clearly put in the work. And that's why you see him have the first half that he did where he's doing unbelievable things with Tyler Lockett. And meanwhile, here's Aaron Rodgers playing a New Orleans Saints team that is replacing Drew Brees with Sean Payton having to get over his addiction to Taysom Hill and putting in Jameis Winston, who constantly throws interceptions. That's the quarterback that Rodgers is going up against. And on top of that, they're playing against a team that had its home game in the New Orleans, Louisiana Superdome, moved to Jacksonville because of Hurricane Ida. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little annoyed with the Packers from this perspective. I picked them in my Survivor League week one because I thought to myself, okay, the Packers were awesome last year. The Saints have a new quarterback. They're not even playing in their home stadium. I thought for sure that that would be an advantage for the Packers. Probably should have paid attention to the Vegas line, which was weirdly not something that was totally in Green Bay's favor. So going forward, I'm going to try to be a little bit better with the gambling stuff. But back to the actual... Pants poopage by Aaron Rodgers and company. He deserved that. After this offseason, talking about this team and Brian Gutekunst because they don't treat people right. Dude, do you pay attention to the rest of the NFL at all? Wow, a couple of older players. They got the boot. That happens to everybody in the NFL. Sure, it could be better, but deal with it. Get over it. What was your flexing all about? What did it accomplish? You're playing for this Packers team. Are you someone who gives so little fucks that you're just going to torpedo the season? Because that's really all I could think of as far as like why he was as bad as he was in this game on Sunday. I like seeing arrogant people get humbled. Football is the ultimate humbling sport. And we got to see that from Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, at least for one Sunday. Speaking of humbling, the Seahawks defensive line was not humble at all in their throttling of the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. 28-16 is the final score, and it was a little bit closer when you really think about it. There were a couple of situations where the Colts could have kicked field goals and instead decided to go for it on fourth down. But while the Seahawks offense definitely had its moments with Shane Waldron now in command, the Seahawks defensive line was the most impressive thing in that game. I say that because I'm pretty sure the Colts offensive line is good. That's at least what we've been told. And when Quentin Nelson is out there, arguably the best offensive lineman in the league, you would think that Indy would at the very least give Seattle a lot of trouble when it came to protection and run blocking. And when it came to run blocking, Indianapolis certainly got theirs from time to time, but When I watched Carson Wentz under center, I saw a guy playing really well. He just didn't have any time. Is that because the Colts offensive line all of a sudden over the course of one offseason turned to shit? Is it because the Colts offensive line is... I don't know. Not used to Carson Wentz. I'm legitimately trying to think of reasons... As far as why the Seahawks pass rush did what it did in this game that have nothing to do with the Colts and that have something to do with the Seahawks because it's surprising (laughs) how well they got after Wentz. I mean, last year they were getting so desperate blitzing. Jamal Adams as much as they possibly could. And early on, on that first drive of the game, when Jamal Adams had that offsides call, and then Indy just kept marching and pushing Seattle up the line of scrimmage, I thought to myself, okay, well, there's that Colts offensive line at work. But Carson Wentz, who was not holding on to the football as long as we typically see him do, and yeah, I'm a little bit of a Wentz stand, but Wentz played well in that game. He was getting the ball out on, in awkward angles and avoiding the rush. He just didn't have time. And you got to give a lot of credit to some of the new guys aboard. Kerry Hyder, who always just seems to be in the right place. He had that touchdown saving tackle on that first drive of the game on a screenplay dove from behind. He just seems to be more aware of where he needs to be on a situational uh, basis. And you need that. I don't think he had that in Jaron Reed. And I think he's an upgrade already. I also didn't think that much of Jaron Reed. Whatever partly off the field, partly on the field. I never really noticed him. After Jaron Reed, you had Brian Monet with one of the most violent offsides I've seen in a while where he pushed a bunch of offensive linemen back. He tapped himself on the chest. Yeah, that was my bad. It was an impressive my bad. You had, in addition to that, you had Benson Mayoa making up a couple of plays. It's weird to see him wearing number 10. I'm still getting used to all the Seahawks that are wearing numbers that aren't in the... 20s, if they're a defensive back or 50s and 90s, if they're a defensive lineman, but he made a couple of nice plays in that game. And the guy who really jumped out, someone who I'm not gonna lie, I, I thought maybe was getting undue hype, starting with when the Seahawks selected him in the second round of the 2020 NFL draft, but also just continuing throughout that season where he didn't even really practice. And then this offseason where we've heard a lot about Daryl Taylor, Daryl Taylor kicked ass in that game. He had the big sack on a fourth down, the first of the two fourth downs that Indianapolis failed on instead of deciding to kick a field goal. They were on Seattle's side of the field. I mean, if they kicked those two field goals, we're talking about a 22-16 game when Indianapolis got the ball with a couple of seconds left at the end of this one. It could have been different if managed differently, but also if the Seahawks pass rush wasn't what it was, it might be a one week thing. I would say that you got to feel pretty good about their chances this coming Sunday against Tennessee, given that Chandler Jones had five sacks in a game. The Seahawks don't have a Chandler Jones type, but clearly the Tennessee Titans with Arthur Smith gone and with Ryan Danahill, probably not as good as he's been the last two years, finally being turned back into the pumpkin that I truly believe him to be. There's a, Really, I think, (laughs) reason for confidence going into that game defensively for the Seahawks. Offensively, it was pretty awesome, at least early. Uh, The first half, the Seahawks' offense was doing all the things that you wanted to see them do. They were giving the football to Chris Carson a lot. Carson's power, still fantastic, is uh, just, I think, motor where he doesn't give up on plays huge to have quickness agility still has the fumbling issue fumbled in this game I hate it when a running back fumbles but the Seahawks showed confidence in him they went right back to him and hopefully that doesn't become a thing like it was back in 2019 but Carson looked good the Seahawks got the tight ends involved Will Disley had a couple of nice plays including one of the best stiff arms I think I've seen in a really long time by the Seahawks including Chris Carson Gerald Everett had a couple of nice plays too. Screen catches that he was a part of that are some of the new wrinkles with the Shane Waldron offense, tight end screens. He had the slant pass over the middle where no one was going to stop him once he got about 10 yards of, of movement. Once he got that momentum going, that, that was a beautifully called play, that second touchdown pass of the game. And then, of course, you got the wide receivers. DK Metcalf got involved later in the game, and he had the touchdown late. A couple of big plays on that drive to set up the touchdown. In the first half, though, it was Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett. Wilson's first touchdown pass to Lockett is just so pretty. Wilson's under pressure, moonballs it, and he just trusts that Lockett is going to be able to adjust to it. Lockett's getting held, adjusts looking from over his left shoulder to over his right shoulder, and still somehow comes down with an incredible catch. That is a really difficult catch to make. For anyone who has played, whether it's flag football or real football, that was a tough catch that he made. And I love that he did the holding sign, declined the penalty in the end zone. No hold was thrown on that play, if I remember correctly. And then, right before halftime, he pulls off one of the most sexual double moves I've ever seen. One step to the right, wiggle back to the left. That's all the separation you need in the NFL. And Russell Wilson hit him for a very nice 69-yard touchdown. So 21 points at halftime. It was starting to look a lot like the Falcons game did to open up the 2020 season where the Seahawks were doing whatever the hell they wanted and start all the Russell Wilson for MVP chatter on Speak for Your Pizza and all sorts of other shows starting, um, well, uh, yesterday morning. But... There's one question I have, and look, Shane Waldron's a first-time offensive coordinator. That was his first NFL game with that title. I know he has done a a similar job in Los Angeles before with the Rams, but that is a job that he's going to have to go into to an extent. I hope that he is better at making second-half adjustments. Things got very plotty for Seattle in the second half, and if they're going up against an offense that's good— How does that go? Shane Waldron didn't have to go up against Matt Stafford and a Rams offense that looked pretty good on Sunday. More on that in a bit. Or a Kyler Murray-led Cardinals team with Kyler Murray healthy. They weren't going up against an Aaron Rodgers Packers team that's actually, I don't know, awake. They're not even going up against a... Pretty good looking Jimmy Garoppolo on Sunday with the 49ers against Detroit. Yeah, they almost blew that game at the end. But I mean, the Garoppolo statistics were pretty impressive, even though he had one of the ugliest long touchdown passes. I think you'll ever see to Debo Samuel. You're going to get into scoring matches with some of those teams. And if you're able to get out of the shoot fine, great. You got to be able to adjust. And that's the big question I have about Shane Waldron coming out of the game. How will he look from half one to half two? The good news for Seattle is, given the way Tennessee looked this past Sunday, that might not be a concern for a couple of weeks. From the Seahawks, we go to my other audience, and we'll try to figure out a way to balance a little bit of Seattle and a little bit of Houston with every single show that I do. But the Texans somehow won, and it helps that they played against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are clearly at least after one week looking like they're in significantly worse shape than an organization that has a quarterback who is under intense scrutiny for allegations of being really creepy at massage parlors who already wanted to be traded out of town who saw Bill O'Brien as general manager completely wrecked the roster who has a preacher in Jack Easterby, former preacher, who has all of a sudden little fingered his way up the totem pole and has the owner, Cal Nair's ear. There are so many bad things going on there, and yet the Jaguars are the team that looks worse, and they just got a number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence, who might be the best quarterback in the NFL in a couple of years. I'm skeptical about that, but let's, let's move back to Houston and the Texans, I I have a question for you because I don't want to talk about them too long. What's it going to take for you to actually enjoy this team again? That's the kind of win, 37-21 over the Jaguars, that you don't really think much of, right? It's a game against the Jaguars. Do do you even want to watch it? But at a certain point, These guys can at the very least make you say, oh yeah, you know what, they're they're trying hard, they're playing hard, etc. What's it going to take? Or are you so turned off by everything that's taken place over the course of the last year that you're just fucking out? I want to know, so please answer that for me. Here are the other noteworthy things that I saw across the NFL this week one of the 2021 NFL season. Here are some other thing. Here are all the other things that I thought were important coming out of week one of the 2021 NFL season. Sunday night football. The Rams played the Bears. Why the fuck does the NFL keep forcing the Bears on us? Bears fans don't want to see it. I get it. It's a big audience. It's a big city. No one wants that, especially with Andy Dalton under center. If you got a young rookie quarterback, just put the guy in. What are you waiting for? What is Andy Dalton going to do between now and the end of the season to give you a different idea of who he is, let alone give the Bears a chance to win? You know what he is. You know that at best case scenario, he is a good backup best case scenario. we saw last year that that wasn't the case when he was with Dallas. When you have an offensive line that isn't good, it complicates it a little bit more, at least when it comes to leaving Andy Dalton out there, because at the very least, Justin Fields can escape this. And I know there's this idea that you ruin a quarterback by putting him in behind a bad offensive line. Yeah, but the guy's probably bad to begin with. And I would point to David Carr. I don't think David Carr was ever going to be good. David Carr didn't put in the work that was necessary based off of everything that I've heard about him in Houston. So, with Justin Fields, put him in. But anyway, no one cares about the Bears. Matt Stafford looked really confident and excited out there. And it's a one game. But I feel a little bit more um, deferential to his skills. I haven't watched a whole lot of them over the course of... My football watching life he hasn't been on national tv a lot i do feel like people are trying to make him a thing where he's probably a little he's got a little sam bradford in him that's for sure and that everyone's constantly telling you how talented he is he's a former number one overall pick my question f- about stafford though isn't his Arm talent, He's got a cannon for an arm. It's whether or not he's going to be able to stay healthy over now a 17-game season. He's had back injuries the last couple of years. He was dealing with so many things last season. And I'll give him this. The guy's tough. But a win over the Chicago Bears, I would not overreact to that too much. Let's see if he can actually survive the season. The big AFC game of this past weekend was the Chiefs. Browns game Cleveland played really well for the first three quarters and then Kansas City said oh yeah Patrick Mahomes Avada Kedavra that was it moral victories aren't real but I do think that the Browns got a bit of a moral victory here even though of course they lost the last time that they played against Kansas City in the playoffs Cleveland, to me, is the most intriguing team in the AFC that is not Kansas City. Defensively, now that they've brought Jadevian Clowney aboard, they have Miles Garrett, John Johnson, they bring him in too. They've got some real pieces. And you saw them give Kansas City a lot of trouble early on in that game. The big problem was Baker Mayfield. And Baker Mayfield in the second half... You got to be able to score some touchdowns. And it does make me wonder about whether or not Cleveland's going to be willing to give him a second contract. The Steelers took down the bills. The Steelers defense is really good. I do wonder about Josh Allen though. And the Josh Allen doubters, anonymous fan group, which I know you're all out there. I was a charter member of that thing when I watched him with Wyoming play against Oregon a couple of seasons ago and thought to myself this guy sucks He played really well last year and he deserves a lot of credit for the step forward, but I have real questions still It has to do with what we saw out of him in the playoffs and it also has to do with The fact that he was playing in last year's NFL largely in stadiums that had no crowd noise now I I don't want to overreact too much to Pittsburgh, and of course it's Week One, and I've said I don't want to overreact. I think like thirty times already on this podcast, but do we really know that he is a top five quarterback, skill set wise, talent wise? I mean, he's fast, he's huge, he's got a lot of skills at his disposal, a hose for an arm. But are we really willing to keep him in that top five, top ten quarterback conversation? other things across the league. Of all the rookie quarterbacks who played, you saw a little bit of Trey Lance. You saw an entire game of Zach Wilson in New York. You saw a little bit of Justin Fields, and you saw a whole game of Trevor Lawrence with the Jaguars against the Texans. Mac Jones looked the best of any rookie quarterback. Oh, Paul, you're so biased. You always talk up the New England Patriots. You can't stop referencing them. Why don't you go get a road with them? Okay, I could do that. And in fact, if you take a look over the majority of my apartment, you will see all sorts of things that say that I already am in a room with the Patriots. So just deal with it. But Mac Jones looked the best of all those rookie quarterbacks. He had a beautiful teardrop pass down the right sideline to James White and made a couple of really, I thought, brilliant throws in this game. Makes it look easy. Now, assuming he stays healthy, that Patriots offensive line in front of him wasn't very good in that first game of the year. And that's surprising considering most people think that's one of their strengths. Assuming that he stays healthy, I'm curious as to where he'll be by week 17. In the meantime, they got to put more on his plate. I felt like they really didn't want him to lose the game for them. And interestingly, they fumbled you saw Ramondre Stevenson fumbled. You saw, and that fumble could have been overturned. Damian Harris fumbled. You also saw Johnny Smith fumble. Like they, they fumbled a lot in this game, and the guy who seemed most trustworthy with the ball in his hands was Mac Jones. Give the guy more responsibilities. It's one game. It's early. i said that a million times. God, stop fucking saying that, Paul. He needs to have more put on his plate. He can do it. He can handle it. The 49ers looked really impressive until they stopped playing. And look, I I think this Detroit team we're going to find at the end of the year is not as bad maybe as we made them out to be going into the season. I thought Jared Goff, all things considered, you take a look at the statistics at least, didn't play terrible in that game. But I'm imagining a lot of the statistics that he racked up came in garbage time. San Francisco's defense getting pushed around like that at the end and and, and the way that San Francisco with that 38-10 lead allowed it to evaporate. You got to wonder about that. But as far as the other things for San Francisco, I mean, Brandon Ayuk was inactive in that game. Why? I don't know. Trey Sermon, who a lot of people have been drafting in fantasy football at running back, he was inactive. Some guy, uh, what? Eli Mitchell, Elijah Mitchell comes in. He runs for 100-plus for San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan can make water into wine, and he did it on Sunday with that offense. Garoppolo even looked good again. Not every single play. I mean, that touchdown pass he had to Debo Samuel is one of the ugliest long touchdown passes you'll ever see. It was an underthrow, and Debo Samuel's just fast, strong, came down with it, ran after the catch with it. But that of all the NFC West performances on Sunday was by far the worst. Arizona might've had the best, but I don't know if that's about the Cardinals who got a great game out of Kyler Murray and Deandre Hopkins was tearing him up and Chandler Jones, who's playing for them, had five sacks in the game. I don't think that game's as much about the Cardinals maybe being a real threat in the NFC West as much as it's about the Titans sucking. Tennessee lost Arthur Smith. You gotta wonder if Ryan Tannehill's is gonna be able to bounce back from that. You also have in Tennessee a defense that sucked last season too. Julio Jones was someone that a lot of people here in Seattle wanted to see signed by the Seahawks or traded for excuse me because they wanted to just keep adding and adding and adding to this offense, but he had a really stupid unnecessary roughness that changed the third and short to third and 15 and uh, not Atlanta Tennessee ended up punting afterwards that move maybe won't even work out for Tennessee and yeah, their offensive coordinator now is the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons and, and you do up the wonder about Mike Vrabel. Great figurehead head coach, but X's and O's, how does he do? And is he going to be able to keep Ryan Tannehill from turning back into a pumpkin? I'm I'm pretty skeptical about that. So that's everything I saw across the NFL. On the next episode of the Gallant Says podcast, I'm going to try to go back really quickly through everything that I missed in the two weeks that I did not have a show. And we will get you geared up for the Seahawks next game against the Tennessee Titans. Talk about the Mariners, and maybe we'll even squeeze in some Texans talk. Any feedback that you have on the podcast, send it. Galant says at gmail.com. You can follow me on a variety of different platforms. On Twitter at GalantSez, says, facebook.com slash Paul Galant sports. I'm on TikTok. I don't ever do it. TikTok. Gallant says, I'm on Instagram too. Sports Gallant is what you want to search for. And you can watch this whole podcast on YouTube if you so choose. Paul Gallant is what you search. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, please do. Tell a friend. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a funny review. If you do, I'll read it. Everybody who has reached out to me over the course of the last two weeks, I can't explain enough how much it meant to me. Really. I can't. It has helped me get through some really tough times. I hope that you will stick with me through what I think are going to be some really fun times, uncensored times, weird times, right here with the Galant Says Podcast. Thank you so much once again. So long. Farewell. We'll be back at it again on Friday.